Last week, Pastor Scott talked about temptation, what Jesus had to say about temptation. In our series, Jesus said, what? <laughs> and we are continuing on in our series. But Pastor Scott is traveling today, so today we get to welcome up a very special person. You may have not met her if you're new because she's usually downstairs um, filling the children's hearts with Jesus' love. But today we're gonna welcome her up, Bethany Birch as she fills our hearts with Jesus' love. <laughs> so I lead the kids' ministry, and you, you want me to use that one? Okay. Okay. Uh, you can't tell me that kids can't be filled with the Holy Spirit, because I was really nervous about coming up here, and Eloise Tushoff came and sat with me the entire service and asked to be held. Kids can be filled with the Holy Spirit. They can listen to him. But it's so humbling to be up here because I originally got involved with our church by offering to clean the toilets. And after I did that for a couple months, uh, Pastor Scott and Ellen Boss, the worship pastor at the time, came to me and they said, hey, Bethany, you are so good at cleaning. Like, we're really impressed with you. And we want to put you in charge of cleaning the church. And I was like whoa, I don't know if I can handle this awesome responsibility. <laughs> so that's how I became the leader of what I like to refer to as the janitorial ministry. And we are always accepting applications, in case you're interested. Um, but then two years later, my husband Clark got a flannel graph set for Christmas. Raise your hand if you know what that is. Okay, if you've never seen one before, go downstairs after service and look in the kids' room. It's this, like big felt board that you stick Bible characters onto, and it's really pretty. But anyway, the day after Christmas, we found out that there was a position available in the kids' ministry, and Clark was like, it's a sign. We have a flannel graph. We should lead the kids' ministry. So we talked to Pastor Scott and Sarah about it, and they said, okay, actually, we want to hire you to do that and fill in some other positions as well. And since then, Scott's been so encouraging to us, and he opens a lot of opportunities for us to grow. Um, he's a fantastic leader. Our whole staff is brilliant. They're my best friends, except for Jeff Breed, who is my best frenemy. <laughs> <laughs> of course, my very best friend on staff is my husband. We've been married for almost four years, and honestly, that guy gets better every single year. First year was rough. <laughs> when we first got married, he watched TV probably six hours a day. He watched all 10 seasons of Supernatural in two months. Um, but this week, he actually talked me into canceling our Netflix account, so we're not going to be watching TV at all. I would call that an improvement. But when he was watching too much TV, um, his, one of the sh shows he really liked was My 600-Pound Life. It would follow these um, individuals with weight struggles who are eligible for a gastric bypass surgery to help them lose weight. But the Iranian doctor who did these surgeries always wanted them to lose a certain amount of weight first. And in a lot of the episodes, the people couldn't do it. They couldn't lose that weight. They would go in for their pre-surgery checkup, and they would sometimes weigh more than they had the last time. And the doctor would say his lines that 
many people have now taped their refrigerators, you could have easily lost 30 pounds this month. <laughs> and he wouldn't do the surgery. Like, you could tell this guy was a very, very skilled surgeon and really cared about his patients because he wouldn't let them off the hook. He would tell them, you can do this, you can give up good things, and you have to because that will save your life. Believe it or not, this relates to what we're talking about today. We're continuing our series on Jesus Said What with Matthew 16, 24 through 26. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? Let's pray for our time together. Jesus, thank you so much for your presence in this room. Help us to understand your word the way that you meant it and not the way that we want it to mean. Please bless our time together and just help us to get to know you better. In your name, amen. Okay, let's read these verses again. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? These are extreme ideas. You know, take up your cross. Uh, people sometimes talk about how they're bearing their crosses by suffering through everyday stuff. Like someone with diabetes or depression or an unfair manager might say, this is my cross to bear. But those things are all effects of living in a broken world. You don't have to be a Christian to struggle with that. And we didn't choose those broken things. They were put on us. The cross is not put on us. We voluntarily take it up, just like Christ voluntarily took up his cross. And the first listeners to these words knew that the cross could only mean one thing, death. Isn't it a little bizarre, maybe even terrifying, that this teacher told us to willingly pick up an implement of death and follow him? But you know that saying that something is worth living for only if it's worth dying for? I think that's the core of this verse. It's not just about death, it's about true life. Yes, it is about being literally willing to die for Jesus. Like it says in Philippians, for me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. But it's also about figuratively being willing to die by giving up control of your own life to God himself. Like Paul said, he died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. Okay, but not only do we live for Christ, Christ is also our life. Listen to this. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples, and human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. From one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. 
though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. Have you ever heard someone describe another person as being their life? Like a, a parent might say that about their child, or a man might say that about his, li- uh, his wife. Like, Carmi is my life. Okay, first off, it, it is really unhealthy making somebody who can mess up your life. But, like, go with me for a minute. What do they mean by that? What does it mean to make somebody your life? It means not only do you love them and think about them a lot, your entire life and purpose is shaped by that person's existence. You give up your own desires to fill her desires. You give up a promising career in a different state to be closer to him. You always give her the last piece of bacon, even though you want it. (laughs) You take the money that you had set aside to buy yourself a car and use it to take him on vacation. You can make Jesus your life in similar ways, but it is different in at least one very important way. He can actually give you life. I remember not having that feeling of life inside of me. And maybe you've been there too. Um, When I was 17 years old, a combination of a bad home life and my own internal struggles drove me to consider ending it all. I remember writing in my journal that I felt as though there was something rotting inside of me, as though there was something that had died and the rot was eating everything in me away. There were so many voices in my head that I couldn't clearly distinguish them. There was self-hatred, anger, depression, bitterness, general hatred, specific hatred, and there was one voice that kept getting louder and it said, you are alone. You will always be alone. Life didn't feel worth living. I knew about Christ, but I thought being a Christian meant trying harder than anyone else to pretend that you're happy and that wasn't gonna help me. And then when Christ saved me and I started to love him, it was as though he gradually cleaned out all that deadness and planted life inside of me. Coming to Christ was like coming to life. Before, I was numb, and it was like all my reactions were on mute. People used to tell me I was tough because I didn't get angry and I never cried. But nothing hurt because everything hurt. But you know, in that first year of getting closer to Christ, I started crying all the time. (laughs) Not just because like I could feel pain, but I just noticed so much more beauty and goodness than I ever had before. It was little stuff like steam rising from a coffee cup or the tamaracks on the mountains changing color in the fall or kids breaking out into song on the playground. Christ woke me up to the beauty in everyday things. I did have to give up things in return for this new life, even things that I thought were good. But you know what? Everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. Okay, this might seem silly, but I've always loved to read. Reading's a good thing, right? Well, (laughs) between third and sixth grade, every single Friday, I would go to the school library and I would check out at least 10 books. Typically, by Monday, I had read every single book. And I'm not just talking little chapter books. I went through the Redwall series, 
The Pride and Chronicles, Harry Potter, you name it, I probably read it and might have forgotten about it because I read it too fast. But I was reading as an escape. Reading kept my brain busy so that I didn't have to think. And it was really effective. There was one time that the police were at my house. My older brother had been choking my younger brother. And even though I was in the same room, I couldn't give the police a statement. I had no idea what had happened because I was reading. And that's still my temptation when things get hard. I want to avoid dealing with life by burying myself in a book. I've had to substantially cut back on my reading because Christ wants me to live my life and not just read about it. Reading is one of the good things that I give up for the much better thing, which is Christ. You know, taking up your cross, I don't think it's about making a religious move. It's not about sacrificing good stuff to a, to a demanding God just to please him. He really wants us to live. And he knows that if we live to please ourselves, to pursue only the things we want, we lose ourselves. Not just our eternal soul, but also in the here and now. People who live to do what they want often find their bodily appetites only grow and their soul shrinks until life is unbearable. God's really good to us. He didn't make up rules just at random to see us scurrying around, trying to get things right. His rules are helpful to us. One common theme in the stories in Genesis is that God knows when to stop. Um, he knew when to stop creating. He knew when to stop the flood. We don't know when to stop. We're just like the people from the 600-pound life who enjoy food, which is a good thing, but we want so much of it that it becomes a terrible thing. That's often how we end up sinning. I don't know too many people who actively say, I would like to break the commandments of God today. Have you ever seen a post-game riot on the news? Like after a big soccer game, um, the winning team's fans will just like rush out of the stadium and they'll start pushing over cars and breaking windows. They're just celebrating a little too much. Uh, work is a good thing, but I think a lot of us feel like we have to work every single day or the world's going to fall apart. Even on a biological level, things like cancer and blood clots come from our body's inability to stop from doing too much of what was a good thing. It's good to be alone sometimes, but a lot of us take that too far. I ran across this proverb last week, and I'm sharing it partly because I've never heard it in a message before. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire. He rages against all wise judgment. Anyone else feel convicted by that? Being alone, doing what we want, these are things we need to bring before God and say, Jesus, my time is yours because my life is yours. How do you want me to use it? We die to our need to get more and more and more because what's the point in getting everything you could possibly want but losing your soul? The more and more attitude will kill your soul, both here and eternally. Instead of trying to fill your appetite for more food, more money, more equipment, more books, let's love the Lord your God, that you may obey his voice and that you may cling to him, for he is your life and the length of your days. 
How do you make Christ your life? How do you make anything your life? You obsess over it. If you wanted to make exercise your life, you would learn as much as you could about it. You would start hanging out with like-minded people who could push you to improve your workouts. You would read about it. You would hang out at the gym. You would cut out things that slow down your workout progress, like carbs. How do you make Jesus your life? It's kind of the same. You obsess over him. You learn as much as you can about him. You start hanging out with people who know him and can push you in your walk. Read about him. Hang out in places where you feel his presence. Cut out anything that stands between you and him, whether it's sin or pleasure or your TV watching time or your reading time. If he's worth it, we have to act like it. But also, don't beat yourself up and get all perfectionistic about doing that stuff. It took me a long time to figure out that Christianity is not about doing everything right. It's about growing closer to Christ. Just like it said in that verse from Acts, this is about feeling our way toward him and finding him because he's not far from any of us. You don't have to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You only need to pull closer to God. He'll do the rest as long as you die to yourself and let him be your life. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, Old Testament stuff, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Let's not waste our time with dead works or striving for more and serve the living God who gives us life. Let's cling to him. He is our life. Remind yourself of that every day. We're really, really forgetful as a species. So every day, preach the gospel to yourself. Remember why you give up your sins, why you avoid temptation, why you have to let go of doing too much of a good thing. At least try it for one week, just this week. Um, every morning this week, maybe before you get out of bed or at least before you get out of the, um, the door, take one minute to remember what Christ means to you. Thank him for one thing he's done for you in the past. And then ask him what he wants from your day. So just two things. It'll take you one minute in the morning, and I think it'll change your day. Just remember to thank him and then ask him and expect that he'll respond. So Jesus said what? Jesus said, will you follow me? You have to give up your way of doing things. You must be willing to hand your life over. Want to save your life? Then you have to give it up. What would the point be if you got everything you wanted but lost your soul, lost the realest part of you? Is that worth it? Thank you so much, Bethany, for those words. Coming to Christ is like coming alive. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, God, I pray that we would be able to leave this place remembering what you've said today, the words that you've spoken to us through Bethany. Thank you, Jesus, for those words. Amen.